Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Three minutes past six o'clock on your Thursday morning of sport. Uh, Louis here, Izzy and Kempi back on Monday. And, well, Beaver has been here for the week, but he's off to get the shards of glass pulled out of his foot. And we, instead, are graced by the... Wow. All being presence of Ricardo Ball. Morning, Rick Dog. <laughs> Morning, mate. How are you? Yeah, flying. And we're going to rip straight into it today because we've just got in here and we've watched one of the great ODI endings. Mm. One of the great ODIs, I think, in India. The Black Caps have stood up and defended their number one status in this format. An incredible winnings by Mitchell Santner. And uh, uh, Mitchell Santner, sorry, Michael Bracewell. And Mitchell Santner is not too far away. He's going to join us on the line as we try and chat through this incredible innings uh, by Beastie. Mitch was out there. Slinky got to see it firsthand as the Black Caps just failed to chase down a mammoth score by the Indians in the first ODI of the series. So we're going to get straight into it this morning. Rick Dog, then we'll hear all about your wonderful life and things <laughs> in between. But Mitch has been good enough to join us on the line. Morning, Mitchell. Hey, how are you? Yeah, we're good, mate. How, how are things feeling over there in India? Uh, it, it's one heck of a one-day international, mate. Yeah, it's an interesting game, eh? Um, <laughs> yeah, obviously, to, to, get, to get pretty close in the end, which was, was you know, obviously, no thanks to the beast himself. Um, but, yeah, it was a good game of cricket. and Obviously a shame we didn't get over the line, but we got close. So he is a he is a bit of a beast, and it was an incredible winnings. Uh, Three hundred and forty nine. When you got sent out there to chase that, where were confidence levels, and, and what were you thinking? Yeah, we felt like it was obviously a pretty good wicket, but um, we we kind of let them get maybe twenty or thirty more than um, we would have liked. We we're looking at probably three twenty, and then um, we obviously knew that it was pretty small ground, and um, if we kept wickets in hand, we could maybe get close, which we. Didn't really do. I think we were one thirty to six at one stage until the beast went berserk. I looked at Sherman Gill's um, innings, mate. Two hundred and eight uh, was absolutely massive. Of one hundred and forty nine balls, nineteen fours, nine sixes. Um, the rest of the Indian batting lineup actually didn't do that much, but I, I suppose they didn't have to. What, what was the what was the bowling plan to Gill? Well, I guess whatever it was, it didn't really work. Uh, <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'd have to, I'd have to go have a look at the plans, but um, yeah, he, it was obviously you know he showed, you know he had a little look at the start, and then from there he, he just kept going and, and kept going. Um, and played some pretty pretty outrageous shots to um, to get you know a double hundred, and it was probably one of the best things I've seen. Um, and yeah, like you said, that everyone else was kind of watching around him, 
Um, we had a couple of chances off them, which would have been nice um, to kind of stem the flow. But, yeah, it was, it was a pretty special knock, um, to be fair. Just coming straight from Pakistan, what was the change in intensity like? Because a million miles away here in New Zealand, it, there was a noticeable change in intensity on the television screen, the pitch, the, the scoring rate, the crowd. Out there, did it feel like it was a pressure cooker all of a sudden? Yeah, it was obviously a bit of a bit of a change. Um, those kind of low, slow wickets in Pakistan were... I oh, kind of wish they were here, but um, it was pretty flat and um, had good pace and good bounce. And, um, yeah, um, and obviously in the, in the thick of it with 50,000 50, people on top of you, it was, it was pretty loud. Um, but, yeah, it was obviously, it's always enjoyable playing here in front of, you know, this many people. They just love it. Um, it was incredibly loud. And you, you kind of forget, um, you know, coming back how loud it is. You've really got to keep eyes on the skip because you can't really hear anything else. What, what was the conversation like when you went out there with um, Michael Bracewell um, at 130 for six, as you said? I mean, you played a great role yourself picking up a, a half century. What was that conversation like when you got to the uh, crease? Yeah, I guess it was, you know, we kind of got nothing to lose here. Um, you know, just play some shots, keep looking straight. Um, and then, you know, BC got a few away and I was happy enough just to knock it around and give them a strike and, and watch them the other end. Um, but, you know, we did get, we did, you know, the closer we got, the more we were thinking that, you know, these guys are going to miss them more now they're under pressure. And, and we got, you know, I mean, if, if I was kind of there at the end with BC, it might have been maybe a touch closer. But, um, yeah, I mean, he just kind of, he just kind of kept going and, and kept going over the road, which was, which was cool to see. Yeah, he took it deep. To even make it to that last over was quite incredible with the chance to win it. Um, Mitch, hey, just on yourself, like I know you would have preferred that low and slow turner. You had such a good time in Pakistan, but going at under sixes today from your 10, it's, it's no mean feat. You seem like you're bowling in a, a really rich vein of form. Is it feeling good? Are you feeling like you're well on top of that aspect of your game? Yeah, I guess it was, you know, it was challenging out times out there. Um, there was there was a little bit of system at times. Um, but, yeah, it was, I guess, against these guys, they're such good players of spin. You have to kind of, you know, mix your pace up, change your scene slightly, which we were trying to do out there. And, um, you know, Gilly got me a couple of times when I missed a bit short. But outside of that, it was it was all right. And, um, yeah, I guess, you know, it would be nice to keep me to 300, 320, which we're looking like at one stage. But, yeah. Um, when a guy's going like that, it's pretty tough to stop. One of the uh, one of the pieces that was missing today, Mitch, was um, of course Ish Sodu, who's had a pretty good tour in Pakistan, uh, out with that ankle injury. How much of a difference on that surface today do you think he would have made? Yeah, he's obviously bowling very well at, this, at the moment as well. Um, you know, it was, it was quite cool to, to play three slash four spinners in Pakistan. Um, and there was, I guess, there was a little bit of assistance out there for the spinners. So, you know, hopefully, obviously, sort that sort that little foot injury out. And um, you know, if we do turn up to one that looks like it's going to spin a bit more, at the end, play all three spinners. Um, it's always enjoyable when when we get the tweakers going together. Outstanding, mate. Hey, appreciate you jumping on the line to us uh, late in the piece over there in India. We cannot wait for the second of these ODIs. That is blockbuster, worthy of the two best uh, one-day international teams in the world playing each other, mate. It was uh, great viewing, and, yeah, that innings from Beastie will go down as one of the greats, even in a, a losing effort. So appreciate your time, Mitch, and enjoy the recovery, and we'll talk again soon, no doubt. Yeah, thanks, mate.
There you go, Mitch Sandner. Very good to jump on the line with us. Yeah, king of the understatement, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> he is flatline. <laughs> he is flatline. Oh, Slinky. Oh, mate, he was, when you get him on there, mate, it was good. Yeah, it was all right, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, it was just he's like... Droll. Oh, mate, he's droll. He's super dry, he's super dry. I, I will say, though, like, looking at the um, Indian scorecard, like, you know, you see 349 for eight, and you think, oh, yeah. But actually, outside of Gill, who scored 208, you can't, and you can't ignore that, their top scorer was 34. And they only had, like, two other, two other blokes that got in, the, in double figures. I mean, you could say that, you know, their middle order failed, really. Virat Kohli out for eight. Ishan Kish, uh, Kishan out for five. Um, you know, Washington Sandia out for 12. We did so much here at Eden Park last time they were here. So um, the bowling effort was actually pretty good. And Henry Shipley, I didn't, I didn't want to bring him up with, with Mitch Santner, but Henry Shipley, I mean, he got two wickets, right? So you, you, you give him that, that that's great. It was, he bounced back really well. His first four overs, he got, he got absolutely spanked. I didn't think he'd come back, but he got another three overs off the back of that, then took two wickets, which was great to see. Uh, it's just a pity he can't get it going with the willow at the moment. Well, he's been this, the definition of launched into the deep end for Henry Shipley, mm. uh, yeah, and he had to be because. And I was made the case a couple of weeks ago that they had to play him in Pakistan because we need to know what we've got with these young seamers. But today, the pressure cooker it was hot. That intensity was turned right up. They haven't really had crowds to deal with in this tour so far. That the wickets have been low, slow. All of a sudden, you've been given a, a wicket, kind of reminiscent of maybe something you'd find in the Big Bash. Yeah. And 50,000 screaming Indians sitting on top of you, as Mitchell Santner said. I mean, you, you kind of feel for a, a guy like that, but at the same time, you've got to find out what they're made of. Now, just looking at the, in, looking at the two different innings, mm. they are very similar. The difference is Shubman Gill made 208 and Michael Bracewell could only muster 140. So, so it's all on beast. It's his fault, is it? Well... <laughs> There was one big score and, and not a lot of support. It, yeah. they, they are kind of similar in that. Like Shubman Gill, watching a lot of IPL, especially when Baz was coaching, like this guy is the next great Indian batsman. And he has been declared that for a long time. He's only 23, I reckon. He's yeah. young. He's got plenty of time on his hands. And he's man, he's he's just making every post a winner at the moment. He's He, he plays so freely either side of the wicket, down the ground. He, he just seems to have so much time at the crease, you know. It doesn't, not too much bothers him. Um, from a New Zealand point of view, I've got to say, oh, I, I think, you know, you talk about Henry Shipley, it's good to throw him in and see, see what he's about, especially in a World Cup year. Um, but, I mean, he is kind of that all-rounder, isn't he? I mean, that's, what he, that's how he plays for Canterbury, he's an all-rounder. Yeah, and, bowling all-rounder. Bowl, bowling all-rounder. But I wonder, because they have taken Doug Bracewell, um, and he's a guy that has been there, done that, and, and knows uh, and, and knows what the score is. So I wonder if uh, if Doug Bracewell gets gets put in next next game out. Well, Rick Dog, I can tell you, I would have much preferred hit sending Dougie out there today than um, Henry Shipley in a second ODI. Yeah, uh, I would have. I think a lot of people. Interesting innings here, Glenn Phillips, eleven from twenty, mm. just before Michael Bracewell. Um, very uncharacteristic. So obviously couldn't get it going today. Anyway, sitting past six. Good morning to you. Sorry about the the very formal start to the show today. <laughs> we just had we had a very small window, and these are the things. These are the dynamics. Let's take you behind the curtain when we're talking radio. Uh, you're thinking, gee, we're running out of time to pre-record here. We're running out of time to pre-record here. Oh, we're going to have to cut our losses. Oh no, we're good to go. Oh no, there's the news. Oh no. <laughs> Right, so that's what's going on there with Mitchell Santner. We'll make sure we play that back a little bit later on. 
Beaver is going to actually take a call, and he's going to join he? us. He's on his way to the uh, he's on his way to the surgery right now. So morning to you, Beaver. He's listening. So we'll catch up with Beaver and, and find out what he's doing. Joe, why are you wearing sunglasses? I can't hear you, Joe. Can't you turn your microphone on, mate? Take your sunglasses off and turn your microphone on. <laughs> so, sorry, no, no. I'm keeping the, the sunglasses on. I'm. It, they're Nivs, I think, and I love Niv. Niv's like a cool guy that works here, and he's my style guru, and he's left them here for me. Right, okay. Who has seen the style other than Nepia? Oh, it's pretty good. <laughs> I know, but I just want to impress Nepia. Okay. Oh, right. Okay. Well, you yeah. just popped up on the little screen we have here where I can see you, and it was very distracting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, taking style, to, you know, impressing Nepia with your style is, 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 well, that is something because, I mean, if you haven't seen Nepia's lid recently, he is Southland's answer to Eminem. Uh. Yeah, I've, I've been going by the Māori Eminem for the past two weeks. I've uh, <laughs> just been kind of claiming that. I don't have any kind of bars or lyrical genius, but I'll definitely give it a try. Okay, good. Well, you're doing well, mate. I don't know. Don't know if Eminem ever rocked this tash like that, though. You kind of look like Eminem, Eminem meets an '80s traffic cop on a motorbike. He wishes he could grow a tash like this, Ricardo. Come on, <laughs> yeah, or an '80s porn star. <laughs> yeah, all that, all that. There's a bit of that going on. Yeah, there. I'm, I'll take that as well, actually, Louis. Yeah, I'll of, take it. The amount of people that would come back from our review with crooked haircuts. You can, <laughs> you have to imagine at this time of year, there's some real dusty lids. Kicking around New Zealand. Okay, so here we are. We are 15 minutes past 6 o'clock. As I said, Izzy and Kempe back Monday. You just heard from Mitchell Sandon. We'll replay it later on. The Black Caps have been embroiled in one of the great ODIs uh, overnight. It only has just finished. We're kind of still soaking it in. We're buzzing here. Temper bed post text machine, double eight double three, or the Kennard's High Phone Line, 0800 150 811. Beaver, a late scratching after from today's show after... Having word through that a surgery was going ahead uh, to get this glass out of his foot, Rick. I don't know if you've heard any of this, but mm. there's 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 a lot going on with Beef, and and his missus is trying to hock off his red hot chili peppers ticket, saying he's got no chance to make it. He's trying to dig his heel or one of his heels in to say, <laughs> "Give me a chance." You yes. wouldn't want to be missing the chilies, would no, you? No, has he got good tickets? I've got a mate oh. that's after good tickets, but he wants good tickets. Well, Beeve won't be... He's, it doesn't matter what they are. He's not selling. <laughs> I'm going to ask for Mrs. Beeve's number because I might be able to hook my mate up. He's on. He said He said I, I would never ever go to a concert and uh, sit in the seats, but this is the only time I wish I booked seats tickets. Right, so he's standing. On one foot. On one foot. That's going to be interesting. And I said, what about that little trolley? You can, you know, you get that, you get that little like, the little, little scooter. Yeah, you said, yeah. Oh, that would be a little bit, you know, look like at the, me, look at me. The knee trolley that could work. That could work. Well, the other thing is because I did breakfast on Monday because you were away mm. with Beef, and Beef was doing it from Matarangi from the batch, right? That's right. And every ad break, I had him on Jitsi on the, I had a camera on him, right, so I could see, so we could see each other. Every ad break, he'd disappear and do another chore. It was like he was getting ready because they were leaving they that were day. They were packing, yeah. They were packing that day. And, like, and, and, then the, and then the rain came, so he disappeared halfway through a break and comes back with a beach umbrella, puts the beach umbrella up. All of a sudden, you've got that. They got, they had the, he put the rubbish out, and then you could hear all the bin chickens in the background. Uh, he, had a, he had a busy morning that morning. I'm not saying he was quite distracted, proving that once again that men can't multitask. That's right. And in the midst of that, he's cleaning up glass and mm. bang. Does a Dougie Bracewell. <laughs> or a Jesse Ryder, as Smithy said. <laughs> didn't punch a window. No, he didn't. Um, so there's, 
There's plenty to dissect, including his foot, mm. which, the, which the surgeons will be doing, mate. But we're going to talk boxing. We got your mm. man out of the UK to talk some boxing. Yeah, Anson Wainwright from uh, Ring TV and mm. Ring Magazine. He's he's one of the guys that actually does all the official uh, ranking, like basically decides who gets ranked where based on their on their performances because Ring TV Ring Magazine have their own belt as well. They do, and it's very it's very accurate. It's mm. actually a lot of people think it's probably the. If you wanted to Google rankings, actually get your head around who was, because it can be complicated, yep. and who is the best, that's uh, pretty kept in high esteem. We're going to talk speed golf. More than an athlete, Jamie Reid, while he's playing, he's a speed golf world champ, he's from the NACI there, and he's going to be playing a huge amount of golf in one day, all in the name of um, charity, 252-hole record. That is 200, that's 14 full rounds, and it was the record was set by a Swiss golfer two years ago. So he's going to try and break that in a 12-hour period from 6.30 a.m. on Saturday. So looking forward to catching up with Jamie Reid on that. And we'll also talk some tennis, um, Rick Dog, because the Australian Open's underway, and there were some upsets yesterday, including Rafael Nadal. Out in straight sets to a bloke with two surnames. What Mackenzie McDonald is the guy's name. McDonald. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not big on two surnames, eh? See, my, my childhood best friend's name's Mackenzie. Oh, really? Is that a surname? Oh, I guess it is. Yeah, it is a, yeah. It is a surname, isn't it? But I don't think that. Right. Because I, I've called him Mackenzie my whole life, and it's his name, you know? Mm. My cousin's daughter is actually named Mackenzie, now that I think about it. Oh, I think um, she's my best friend. Yeah. From yeah. Child, my childhood. So, yeah, but we call her Macca. No one calls her Mackenzie. Everyone just calls her Macca. Uh, but yeah. her, see, her surname is a first name. Her surname's Stuart. So she's done it the right the other way around. It's all over the show. And Ricardo Bull. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what you're going to do with that. No, mate. Well, it's no helping me. And I'm a hyphen. You're a hyphen. Well, yeah, we call you call you the hyphen. The hyphen on breakfast. Louis Herman what? And Beaver's an animal. And he's up after this. <laughs> Here's Kim's Warehouse. Great savings every day. We're off to catch up with the Beaver. We'll get him on the way into surgery. Find out how the morale is, what he's done with the Chili Peppers ticket. If you've been following along with the story of Beaver's glass shards in his foot, don't go anywhere because he's up after this. 26 minutes out of six, and thank you for bearing with us this morning. It's all been a little bit upside down, and for our good friend Stephen Beaver Donald, he has had a torrid run of it over the last couple of days, but he's been good enough to dial in on his way to surgery. Beav, people are wondering, Tim's texting, get him a moon boot. I went to U2 in a moon boot, no worries. We want a status update. How's the peg? How's the hoof? Well, it's exciting. I'm, I've actually just pulled into the car park. So, uh, yeah, it's about to get a whole lot better, hopefully. Um, and just in response to Tim and, uh, and the, of course, Red Hot Chili Peppers tickets this weekend, I had to almost uh, send a video message to a couple of people who were sniffing around saying, uh, no chance, I am going. So the tickets are not for sale. So the foot, you're about to go into a full surgery, which you're actually craving anyway, so it's a good day for you. To, so, so, I mean, congratulations. <laughs> Thanks, mate. As I mentioned to you, I do love an operation and waking up from an operation. It's, uh, I don't think there's many better feelings in life. <laughs> he really talked this into existence, right? And, and so they're, they're going in, and you reckon by Saturday you are there's no chance anyone's getting a sniff of this because Rick Dog's trying to hop your tickets off to a mate of his. 
Oh, absolutely, I'll be good as gold. Um, they are GA, though, so I think that takes Rick's mate out of the uh, equation. Um, so, no, I'm, I'm, I'm roaring. I'm, I'm getting up this afternoon. I, was, I asked the lady last night if I could drive home. She said, you realise you are having a, a operation where you will be knocked out. You will not be driving home. So... Uh, I'm getting picked up early, aren't I, apparently? Oh, there you go. I mean, it's it's going to be interesting to see how you go GA standing, Beef, because um, I imagine you're going to have some stitches in your in your hoof. Are, you, are they giving you any uh, any sort of takeaway comfort, shall we say? There will be takeaway comfort, I'd imagine, Ricardo, but I don't know if I'll take any on Saturday because I guess I want to have my own comfort on Saturday going to a concert at Mount Smart, wouldn't you? Mm. Um, oh, self-medicating yeah. situation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll be, I'll be want to have a few cold ones. Uh, so I don't know if uh, having having what they're going to give me today is going to uh, go well for tummy. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, nothing. Nothing. I think a, a probably a Grins line won't solve though. No, a Grins line will be perfect. Just a real setter for the tummy. And uh, when I want to take it to a new level, it'll be a Grins blueberry. Hey, Beef, the, the most disappointing thing about this is. Um, we were we had we had a we had a great little bit planned for today, and I won't spoil it because there's a, I mean there's a chance we'll be able to do it by the time the Wallabies are, yeah. are actually a decent rugby team anyway. But we were look I had I sat through an SEN SENZ meeting yesterday, and they mm-hmm. said, oh, what's been big digitally this week? Like what's been going off? You know what what has been hitting the algos as they say, um, and. It was all about Beaver hooking into to Eddie Jones and Australian <laughs> rugby. You really, really pushed some buttons, mate. Well, again, I'm still flabbergasted by it all, uh, to be fair, because it just feels like you're stating the obvious. Like, anyone that's seen Australian rugby over the last sort of decade almost, it's been a strong decline. So it's hard to... It's like it's like, hey, guys, your rugby team's not very good and your players haven't got... You haven't got the depth you used to. Is that news to people? I would have thought so. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently. Apparently. Yeah, it may be news from about 2003 last time Eddie was in charge. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, all I'm flabbergasted is that you're blaming a great New Zealand coach. You know, that's, that's the thing that's uh, shocked me. I mean, what we've said, I thought it's been pretty level, to be fair, Louis, all week. I'd oh, made perfect sense to myself and the majority of the ECNZ listeners around uh, New Zealand, mate. But I, I just think they're in a bit of an echo chamber there of the, the Australian rugby fans and need a bit of impartiality that you have been able to offer this week, Beaver. We'll let you crack on, mate. Hey, um, enjoy your soft serve ice cream and your, your lime pals. Um, good, good luck in there, big guy, and we'll talk when you're done. Okay, mate. Thanks, guys. Have a good show. Yeah, good luck with it, Beef. There you go. He's an absolute warrior, the Beef. Oh, mate. Oh, I wanted to know, though, uh, does his re- nose light up red and does he go beep if the surgeon gets something wrong? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, what, what's that? Operation? Operation. I don't know, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's the name of the... <laughs> See, what's Cleverly the named, didn't it? Operation Beef. <laughs> Uh, this has been Operation Beef this week. He honestly did set was going to be hosting the show until... He actually couldn't because the time of the show was when he was under the knife. He is, as he's been saying, he's a company man. Is he? Well, the question is, is he going to be back tomorrow? I would not be betting against him. You wouldn't be? You reckon he'll be in here? I've, uh, he is a company, as he said a week. 
If I can do it, I'll do it. Yeah, there you go. Otherwise, it'll be you and me again, Rick Dog. Uh, oh, Twenty nine. You'll be looking forward to that already. Oh, oh, well, we can't wait. Oh, can't wait to. Um, we haven't got it in the rundown because we didn't know you're going to be here. But we've got a we've got a great conversation around Halberg. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> around Halberg finalists. Yes. At some stage. Bring it on. Twenty nine away from seven. It's Ricardo Ball, myself, Louis Herman, Watt, and we're going to head off to some news with Aroha for Kubota. Together, we are shaping the future. And after that, we'll actually get to a bit of sport news, which includes Dave Rennie's first statement publicly. The great man, he's been let go, and um, I think there's a lot of support. He's up to 500 messages of support just personally to him, and that says what sort of person he is as an individual. Back after Aroha. This morning, plenty going on here at SENZ, including we caught up with Mitchell Santner straight out of the news at 6 o'clock. We'll replay that for you later on because... Well, I guess the biggest sport headline with Kennard's Hire, they are hiring big. Visit kennardshire.co.nz. Rick Dog riding shotgun today is that the Black Caps have gone down in an absolute classic ODI. Chasing 349, they made 337. It was the last over in Michael Bracewell, who put together one of the great New Zealand ODI innings, 140, was caught plumb, trapped in front of the wickets, trying to make room for himself to chase down the last well I think he got it down to about 14 or so bulls, uh, 14 or so runs, it was actually less than that, it was 12 I think wasn't it? Yeah 12 off the last, I think of five bulls he had to go. Very achievable the Mm. way he was in, and is that the the highest score by a black cap and black cap bone white ball cricket in India? Yes it is Yep, Um, it trumps uh, you won't remember this, but I do remember it well. Chris Harris, uh, back in 96 against Aussie, um, he had 130, and that was a World Cup semi-final. But it wasn't enough to get us home in that one either, to be fair. There you go. It's a hell of a, a hell of an effort by um, Mitchell, uh, Michael Bracewell. Mitchell Santner got a sit box seat to it and watch one of the great performances. Now, Dave Rennie, well, he has spoken... And he has taken, well, he's fallen on the sword very, very graciously. I've loved the time with my t- with the team. They're outstanding young men who are keen to learn and prepared to work hard. The staff I worked with during my time at the Wallabies are some of the best pe- best in the world, and they played a massive role in creating a quality environment and developing the depth of a playing group. He spoke about, he takes solace in the fact that he was still had the faith of the backing of the dressing room and the staff at the time of the departure. And I think for coaches, Rick Dog, that is ultimately the thing that they really care about. Yeah, it is. And I, and I, I guess too, I mean, I, I think um, Eddie Jones actually said this uh, in, a, um, in an interview that he did. He said, the longer you're in a job, the more at risk you are of losing that job. Because the honeymoon period goes, and you know you, you're always uh, going to be judged quicker and harsher the longer you're in the job, um, and that's that's the state of things, you know. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I did you hear Eddie Jones yesterday? Yeah, he wants to be the Wayne Barnes as well because he's going to oversee the women's program. Yeah, uh, Wayne Barnes, sorry, Wayne Smith. Wayne Smith. Yeah, which I thought was an interesting call. I, I, I mean, if you're Australian rugby, you're like, yeah, that's great, but we've got a rugby world cup this year. Can you just focus on that, please? They are looking at Eddie Jones as the saviour of Australian rugby, not the Wallabies, Mm. which, as Beaver has pointed out time and time again this week, is an insane notion. He is not your silver bullet. And if you wanted it to be, Mm. well, your magic bullet, he said, you fired it in the wrong place. Because it's just, 
I mean, he's got the nickname 18 Month 80 for a reason, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He he basically uh, he loses the dressing room after that time because of the way he is and the intensity. I think people people just like it stops having an effect. Oh, and that's what we saw in England. He's been known to be volatile over and over. I think you'll get a reaction out of them, though. I think that the Wallabies will probably lift this year in one way or another. The thing you'll never be able to work out is how much of this was Dave Rennie's long-term planning. I mean, he's been crippled by injuries in his tenure, hasn't he? Yeah, well, he has. I mean, they, he not only do they lack cattle, as Beaver pointed out, but how many of the cattle that he did have, particularly the top guys like Michael Hooper, did he have to do without, particularly in 2022? 100%, Rick. We'll talk more about it later in the show. I know you've got plenty of thoughts on double eight double three and the Kennard's Tire phone line 0800-150-811 as well. Dave Rennie has broken his silence. Uh, I'm disappointed I won't be able to see out my contract the way I agreed to back in 2019, but I leave knowing I had the full support of the playing group and the staff. As I said, that is what counts to these high-level coaches. 22 minutes away from seven... We have got a $50 TAB bonus bet mm. for you, and we have a quiz for you. Quizzy Dag, I'm looking forward to having the Ismaster back on Monday, but in the meantime, Rick Dog, it's all you. It's Quizzy Dog instead of Quizzy Dag. Quizzy Dog. <laughs> Let's go. 0800-150-811. Take on the dog, the quiz dog. <laughs> Quizzy Dog, half after this. We're 16 minutes away from 7 o'clock, and it's Quizzy Dog. Time. Oh, yeah. Actually, um, Rick, you, you alerted me to a news story this morning where someone was being called a dog. Yes, yes. Oh, a man whose nickname actually was a dog. Pup. Pup Clark. Michael Clark embroiled in some sort of cheating scandal in Australia. Unlike a- Australian the- cricketers and cheating, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> Getting slapped in a public place? Gee whiz, there's plenty going on in that situation. There's also plenty going on over here at SCNZ, and uh, we've got Quizzy Dog for a $50 TB bonus bet up for grabs. And we're going to start with our man in Huntley. It's been a while since we've chatted to him. G'day, Brett. Morning, Brett. Looking forward to Saturday. Oh, same. Gee whiz. Like, actually struggling to sleep at night. <laughs> It's going to be a massive day. Uh, Rick, do you have the questions? I have the questions. Brett, are you ready for a question? Oh, it's far away, Rick. All right. How many individual people have scored double centuries in ODI cricket? No idea. 12. No, that's a negatory. Uh, Let's go to Tim in Christchurch. Good morning, Tim. How's it going, Tim? Very good. Uh, what do you reckon, Tim? You got an answer for us? Uh, how many actual people? Yeah. Oh, have you got a clue? Single digits. Um, I'll say seven. Do. Close, but no cigar. Luke and Dunners, very close there with seven, Luke. I'll go eight. Pay him. Yeah, well done. Yeah, uh, eight people have done it, but it has been done ten times. Rohit Sharma has done it three times. Freak. The only guy on there that's done it more than once, so uh, well done him. All right, Luki, here you go. What is the name of the new golf doco coming to Netflix? Oh, uh, no, you can be a cure on that one. Um... 
Well, it's not. A, it's it's not a half swing. Oh, full swing. <laughs> that is up there with one of the worst clues like Baz would have given in, no, in a heyday. Baz would have said um, uh, he would have gone last. He would have gone um, show thing. <laughs> it rhymes with um, anyway. All right, so we got two. Here's the third one. Who was Joseph Parker's last win against in the ring in 2021? Oh, no. No idea. No idea, dude. You want to have a stab? Yeah. Nah. Got no idea. All right. Okay. Off you go, Loki. Well played. Brad, also indeed, and we're going to stay in the deep south. How are you, Brad? Yeah, good fellas. How are we? Yeah, good, mate. Do you know who Joseph Parker's last win in the ring was against? Oh. Um, Ruiz? Nah, not Ruiz. Oh. Chisora? Ooh, Nicely yeah. done. Well worked out. Nicely done. All right, here's question four for you. How many combined runs did Michael Bracewell and Shubman Gill score today? Uh, zero, eight. How exact does it have to be? <laughs> <laughs> well, exact, yeah. It's how many combined runs that Michael Brassel, Shubman, Gill scored today? You, you, you got one there. You need to add them together. Carry the three. <laughs> two. I had a math one the other day. Um, two forty-eight. I think it is. How many? 248. Oh, you've done the hard yakking, Brad. You've done the hard yakking. You've left it short. Oh, who we got next, Louis? Jade. Jade, what do you reckon? What's the answer? How many combined runs did Bracewell and Shubham Gill score today? 248. 348. Oh, saved it. Saved it. Wow. All right, all right. For the $50 TAB multi, here you go, the last question. Jade, the Breakers are looking to break their three-game losing streak tonight. Who are they playing? Oh, I couldn't get a clue on that one, could I? Um, what noise do these things make? Oh, they're kind of a... It'll be a hawk then, wouldn't it? Ah, yes. Illawarra Hawks. Oh, I've always said this show doubles as a David Annenberg documentary. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Jade. All yours, mate. $50 TAB bonus bet. Uh, Have you got anything lined up? What do you you want to invest in, do you reckon? Oh, look, something quick, something easy. So we'll see what's on on the races today, if there's any at all, mate. You got a tip, Louis? Uh, I don't just yet because I've been... Well, I have tips for this weekend. Today they're rating at, racing at Ashburton. I will have a good scan through the fields, and I'll see if I can jimmy something up for you by the end of the show, Jade. Appreciate you playing Quizzy Dag as always. Thanks to everybody that's going to score on 0800 150 Actually, actually, mm-hmm. after this, we're going to talk loveracing.nz. So yeah. we'll do that. I'm going to have a good scan through the fields here at Ashburton. We can also talk Caracamillion. I, I actually like race six, Noble Knight, number one. <laughs> Paying fours in the $1.75. <laughs> okay, Rick Dog. I'm just, I'm just going to throw that out there. This is my corner, mate. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, yeah, and I'll tell you what. Yeah, I always knew Brighton was going to beat Liverpool. <laughs>
<laughs> we'll be back with more racing after this. SENZ, it is four minutes away from seven o'clock. After seven o'clock, we're going to talk to uh, Jamie Reed, who is playing a hell of a lot of golf in one day for charity. And this is interesting. He is the world champ speed golfer, so we'll talk to him a bit about that. But the grand tour of racing with SENZ, yes, the grand tour of racing is coming to you somewhere soon. And this weekend, Caracamillion, yeah. Rick Dog, as a not a racing fanatic, you would have grasped how big the Caracamillion has become over the last few years, though. No, oh, yeah, and bigger every year. Like it seems to be gaining more and more attention, even from outside our shores, right? How many overseas buyers are we seeing turning up now? Well, that's right. So the sales are they pump in the racing this weekend for. Uh, the $2 million races are going, well, it's going to be intense. The draws are out yesterday. You would have heard those or seen those by now. Legato has drawn one, Wild Knight two in the three-year-old race. Um, Penderbell has drawn super in the two-year-old race. Tokyo Tycoon's out there in 14. Trobrian's there in six. Uh, so he goes, resumes, well, he takes favoritism off the stable, mate. Opie Boston's going to ride there. So Trobriand already is the... Uh, the punter's picked simply because the 1-0 on Patrick jumps aboard. Isn't it crazy? You think about sport, there's not too many people that completely change people's opinion on what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, you think you usually would have an idea. Opie jumps off one horse and onto another, and then you're like, oh, no, better change my mind. Yeah, how much of a swing do you reckon would there be in a book? With a, on- well, I tell you exactly how much. Yeah. Before the barrier draw... So before we knew who Opie Boston was riding, Tokyo Tycoon was going to was favourite in the two million the two year old million dollar race at three dollars fifty. Troy Brienne was close to five dollars fifty. Now Tokyo Tycoon is five dollars fifty and Troy Brienne, the bookies opened him at three eighty in the final field and he's into three dollars. Wow. So a hundred percent skim, I guess you'd say. Yeah, it's completely swung around, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah. that's it. It's the Boston effect. That is. That is, that is. He is the boss, and he uh, what he says goes. Now, today at Ashburton, we've got a text here. Race 9 Ashburton, Trayvon for Ross, Ross Beckett. Mike, double eight, double three. good mail. You liked one? I did. I did race six, number one, Noble Knight, uh, trained by Sandy Cunningham, uh, and at fours and $1.75. One last time out. It's had two-thirds in a second in the last five races as well, so form is on Noble Knight's side. And I think it's probably going to be... A Terry Ray day down there. I think Terry Ray down there is uh, a trainer to follow today. A couple in particular. A horse called Secret Express we haven't seen for over six months now in race number two. Its starting price when it went down by a nose was about $2.20 at Rickerton and a pretty strong maiden race back then. Uh, today, I think Secret Express with the right run and a nice weight can be winning. And I think Mary Wecker with Lisa Allpress will start shorter than the $3.30 in race three. So Mary Wecker is a good bet. And one of odds, a horse that's always got, well, it's always shown more ability than its record presents itself. And there's a market move here, which is good news when you're talking about the Parsons. 13s into 10s, race number eight, number nine, decisive. Maybe a little each way go. There you go. So plenty to get your teeth into and fill the beer fridge with, Louis. Wow. And the weekend's coming up. And if you're beaver, you might need some of that self-medication before you <laughs> eat enough to read on chili peppers. After this, we're talking speed golf. Yes, that's right. Speed golf with Jamie Reid. Here's Aroha with the news for Kubota. Together, we are shaping the future.
Four minutes past seven o'clock, you're listening to SENZ on your 19th of January. Dangerously close to Karaka Million Weekend. The Good Oil will be live on track at Pukekohe from three till eight, giving you all of the latest tips and information from Pukekohe and the Karaka Million. It's Louis here, Izzy and Kempe back Monday, and Beaver is... On the operating table, so Rick Dog is sitting in. <laughs> morning, mate. Morning, morning. Um, mate, what a start to the morning, too. I, I mean, to be fair, as I mentioned when I came in, I didn't sleep a lot last night, um, and I, so I kept a, an eye on the cricket. And when we were at 130 for six, chasing 349, I pretty much gave up hope of us getting anywhere near, but boom, into Michael Bracewell. Into Beastie, who's put together one of the most Beastie-like innings in uh, our recent ODI history. He's got 140 from 78 balls, hitting 12 fours and 10 sixes. Unfortunately for Beastie and the Black Caps, Shubman Gill put on one of the greatest innings in the history of ODI cricket, scoring 208 from 149. Yeah, so that, that was... Only the tenth time a double ton has been uh, scored in ODI cricket, and um, you know the other the other stat that I because I, I went through the list and we said Rohit Sharma had scored three of the ten, right? Seven of those double tons have been scored by Indian players. Yep. So there you go. Uh, these uh, and they they do have the tendencies to do it. Obviously, there's they play a lot of ODI cricket. Mm. They get a lot of chances. And today over there in Hyderabad, it was a flat wicket, small boundaries. It was hot, and the uh, scoring rate was huge. It's not often you score 140 striking 179, and you didn't have the best innings of the day. Yeah, so, you know what really surprised me is that there's no Australian that's done it. Wow. I mean, that, that makes you feel good. It does. What a feel-good way to start the morning. <laughs> seven minutes past seven. We've got plenty coming up this hour as well. We're going to talk some Australian Open tennis. We'll talk some boxing before the end of the show. But welcoming back for 2023, it is the segment we have loved more than an athlete. With Tremaine's, bringing people and property together in our community. Now, this is quite hard to wrap your head around. We've spoken to this guy before, Jamie Reid, when he was preparing to head off and try to become the world champion at speed golf. But this time around, he wants to break a 252-hole record by playing 14 full rounds and a bit in a 12-hour period this Saturday, all in the name of the charity Kidney Kids New Zealand. It's quite an incredible thing to read. I'm looking forward to chatting to Jamie about it. Morning, Jamie. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Yourself? Yes, I'm good, but I'm a bit dizzy because it's very early. I'm also trying to work out what you're going to do. So are those stats somewhere near correct? Is that what you're trying to do? 252 holes in a day? Yep, that's correct, yes. So 14 rounds of golf. Um, over 12 hours. Some guy from Sweden's currently got the world record. So there's about, well, there's three proper proper athletes here going to try and crack it on Saturday um, over 12 hours. And I think we've all pretty, got a pretty good chance, but it's going to be a, a hell of a test in the in the hot weather, that's for sure, in the Naki. You're doing this at the Fitzroy uh, Golf Club, uh, Jamie. Um, it's about 90 kilometres um, all, all up you're going to cover in that 12-hour period. How much selection process did you go through when deciding on a golf course? Because you wouldn't want to be doing this at Titarangi, which is all up and down. No, you wouldn't. And you you do want a shorter golf course as well. So 
Um, we, we chose Fitzroy because we've got a good speed golf um, community there. Um, and also just in relation to the to the kidney kids as well. So the main organising team, they're all from Fitzroy. Um, so it's easy for us to, to jump over there. And we've got the clubs back in and stuff like that. So they've been very supportive and, and us allowing us to have the course for the day. Because um, you can imagine you don't want too many people out on the golf course when you're trying to run around for 12 hours and break a record. So you're not you're not um, shy to this sort of stuff. I know you've had a crack and you're very very good at speed golf, Jamie. But how many holes of golf have you played in a single day before? Uh, the most I've done is I've done seven rounds. So about three weeks ago, I did a training run with one of the other guys, um, Shannon Sellard, and we just did a, we did a marathon, which was a marathon of speed golf, which was seven <laughs> rounds, and that took us just under four hours forty. So. <laughs> The time, the time's not an issue. It's just going to be the endurance, whether the body can hold out for twelve hours. Um, have you done? Sorry, so, mate. Have you have you done ultra marathons before? Like, have you actually run this distance before? No, no. no the furthest I've done is fifty k, and that was on a golf course as well, which was a couple of years ago. So the only sort of anything over thirty k. I mean, I do thirty k on the roads, but any sort of run that I've done over thirty k has just been out playing speed golf on the golf course. So. No, so the longest I've gone is 50 kilometres, so I'm going into the unknown. Um, yeah, like you said, you have to run about 90 kilometres to to break the break the world record, so it'll be it's going to be a good test, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, given the amount of time that a round of golf generally takes, right, and the, the amount of miles you have to put in a train for something I'm like this... Are you hole or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> I was going to say, Jamie, I mean, is the, is the best way to train for speed golf playing speed golf? Uh, yes and no. So I do like a lot of my training on the roads as well, but it's just when it comes around to tournaments, it's good to do the specific stuff on the on the golf course and make in relation to speed golf. Um, but I mean, I had world champs in November, um, and so a lot of that was trained towards like a, a 10k effort. And so I haven't had tons of time to be able to adapt the body to the endurance and be able to go 90k. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. But it's um, it's all for a good cause of raising money for kidney kids. Um, which is the main thing there. So a world record is just going to be an added bonus if we can get that across the line as well. Well, a bit of you've you've already you went pretty good at the world champs, right? So you, you've obviously got the taste of success at the moment. Just remind us for everybody who's got their jaws on the table, like I do. Now, how many clubs do you carry, and like what is the actual dynamic of speed golf? Because so you, you break it down. This is it's kind of crazy for different reasons, like the amount of. Uh, shots you're going to take, the amount of kilometres you're going to run, but the actual dynamics of speed golf, just give us a refresher. Yeah, so a speed golf score is your golf score and your time added together. So, for example, when I played in the World Champs in November, my first round I shot 71, which was one under par um, in 42 minutes. Now, that course was quite long. It was, I think the running distance was 8.6 kilometres. Um so you add those two together, um, and that was my speed golf score. I only take three golf clubs, so I take a driver, normally a seven iron and a gap wedge. Um, I don't take a putter. I just putt with my gap wedge and hit like a belly wedge. Um, so, yeah, three clubs, shoot under par, and done in 42 minutes. So it's a bit, bit quicker than your, your normal game of golf. Is that standard, roughly, from what the other speed golfers carry? I mean, I, I kind of was thinking, you know, you might roll, instead of taking a driver, you might roll something like a two iron or something. Yeah, most, no, I'm about the only one that takes a driver. I hit driver off the deck. Um, I must have got quite a high ball flight, so I don't have to set up, which takes me about, which takes me about two seconds every hole I hit driver, so, um, which can be a big difference in the end. But most people would take a three-wood um, or a, or like a two-iron or a three-iron just so that they're hitting it nice and straight, and then they've got another option for their second shots and par fives as well. 
Um, but then they'll take a long iron, a short iron, a wedge, and maybe a putter as well. So some people might take up to, you're allowed up to seven clubs, but yeah, a lot of your good golfers will take maybe five or six clubs because they want to make sure they put a good golf score on the board because that's where they can save all their all their score. Um, whereas like a faster runner, they might take less clubs and try to utilise running fast because obviously if you take more clubs, you're going to be slight running because you have to carry all your gear and stuff like that. So there is a little bit of strategy involved and it depends on what sort of background you come from will depend on how many clubs you take, really. When was the last time you played a regular round of golf? Oh, I still play regular rounds of golf and saying that since I came back from World Champs because I'm just going to play with one club in this 12-hour challenge. So I've literally just played with one club for the last two months, three months. Um, but I think, I don't know, my last normal round of golf was maybe a month ago. Mm-hmm. And even when I play a normal round of golf, I only take seven or eight clubs. I don't <laughs> play with a full set because it just gets too much choice. I don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's there's more room for cans when you do that as well, right? <laughs> well, there is, yeah. I mean, it's going to be tough to take 252 cans on Saturday, but maybe someone wants <laughs> That's so true. You need Beaver driving next year with a Grins car or something like that. Yeah, that's it. Uh, mate, it's quite incredible. So... Mike, uh, Mick McBeth, as you said, Shannon Stellard, yep. they're, they're going to have a yep. crack alongside of you. Do you, you suspect that if one of you can do it, you can all do it, or might it be a survival yeah. of the fittest? Um, it will be a little bit of survival of the fittest, but, I mean, Shannon comes from an Ironman background, so he's got the endurance. Um, and then, I mean, Mick's just a, he's a good runner and he's a half-decent golfer as well, and so he'll be able to go and go and go. So, I mean, it'll be, it's nice because we've got, in terms of, I think it's about... 25 teams and five or six individuals doing it. Some of the other individuals are just walking um, just to raise money. But, yes, I mean, there's going to be quite a few people out there at the same time, so that's going to be motivating in itself. Um, and, if, yeah, if us do get close, we, we probably need to have a chat. If we both start to break it and we're, we're together, does someone just sprint off in the last five minutes to play a couple of holes to beat someone by two holes? But, I don't know, we might try and cheer the title. We don't know what's going to happen there, so there might be a bit of argy-bargy at the end. But <laughs> it's exciting, I think. Yeah, <laughs> what, what if, uh, you know, you, you, you're playing at Fitzroy, you just mentioned there's a few others there. Uh, how does that work? I mean, going, you're going for a, a, a record and you talk, there's some people walking it. I mean, do you get waved through or do you just wave yourself through when, it's, when it comes to speed golf? Yeah, so, I mean, the faster person that is behind, they'll just run up and they'll yell forward and the person will just stand aside. So there, there shouldn't be any issues in terms of pace of play of people when slowing us down and stuff like that. I mean, to be fair, some of some of us, if we do get slowed down, that might be a good thing for us because over 12 hours, it's easy to go out to too hot. I mean, we have to average, I think, 51 minutes around to break the 252. So in the first six hours, I'm going to try and average just under 45 minutes. Um, and then after six hours, I'll reevaluate to see how the body feels. And if the body feels good, then I'll try and take it down to like 42 minutes. Um, if the body's done a struggle, I'll try and keep it at 45 but, and bank some holes early so that I've got some time up my sleeve at the end. Jamie, I went for a run yesterday around the Auckland domain and it was the beating Auckland heat. And I managed to knock out about six and a half kilometres. And I got home and was useless for about, um, I reckon, probably an hour and a half before I could muster crawling into the shower. <laughs> How how sore and how broken do you speak for for an everyday person? How's can you like? The, are you going to put yourself through some serious pain here? Do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I need to be careful because I've got a few tournaments um, in the year as well. So I don't want to go too silly and then break down and not be able to run for two months. Because um, it would be nice to be able to still run because I've got New Zealand champs in April and stuff like that. So I, I need to be smart at the same time. Um, but yeah, I'll look after the body, and if it does start to get a bit too sore and I can feel some sort of pain that might last a little bit longer than, than a few weeks, then uh, I might pull the pin. But 
yeah, it's just going to be a time and a place and, and see what we're going. I mean, the good thing is if I do bank some early holes, I might be able to walk a little bit and, and get a bit more recovery there. Um, but yeah, like I said, we'll, we'll see how the plan goes. But uh, it's going to be a good day nonetheless. So Dawn to Dusk Golf Challenge page has been set up on set up on Give a Little. If anyone wants to go donate, we'll chuck up on our Twitter and on the SCNZ Instagram. Neeps, we'll get you to do that, um, mate. Well, talk to us about the the charity. Like, why is why is it important to you, Kidney Kids New Zealand? Yeah, so Adele, who's part of the organising team, so she was diagnosed with um, chronic kidney disease when she was 12, um, and then she went into stage renewal um, failure requiring dialysis and a kidney transplant as well at 12. So um, Kidney Kids obviously helped supported her greatly and her family um, when she was going through this time, and now Adele's actually on the board of Kidney Kids as well. And then in 2017, she had to have a second trans- uh, transplant, and that was actually given by her brother, Reeve, who's also part of the organising team, um, and is going to be running as well. So it's very close to her heart in terms of, um, obviously, people there that have been through it and now on the board. Um, and Kidney Kids New Zealand have struggled in terms of money, like a lot of other charities, um, since COVID. Um, so it's a way for us to be able to give back to them. Um, like I said, they had a... A good um, experience when they went through it through those difficult times. Um, so be able to give that money back to Kidney Kids, um, and then if there's any other kids that are in that in that trouble that she had when she was younger, um, yeah, it's quite cool knowing that they're going to have the the financial backing that they need to better to better live a, a good life going forward. Oh, good luck, mate, and it's a very very good cause. Uh, Dawn to Dusk Golf Challenge. If anyone wants to donate, and would encourage you to do that, I think that's a very noble thing, mate. Um, we'll touch base and we'll find out how you win. Hopefully, cool. the body holds up. Yeah, so sounds good. There you go. Jamie Reid. Brought to you by Tremaine Real Estate. That was more than an athlete bringing people and property together in our communities, and that's exactly what Jamie is doing for a very important charity you heard him speak about there, Rick Dog. This is insane to me. Mm, yeah. I, I mean, mate, even just hearing you talk about running 6.5Ks around the uh, Auckland domain made me shiver. Uh, let, let the heat nearly crippled me yesterday. And he wants to do 90 in the Taranaki beating heat. Mm, yeah. While swinging a club. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I did I did an hour of boxing yesterday at a, uh, a, a, in a bunker in, in Auckland City, and that was that was enough for me, mate. I was just like, Phew. so yeah. I mean, that's extreme. That's uh, that's a, uh, you call that extreme athlete? It, it pretty much is, isn't it? Ninety k well, in ult- twelve hours. What's an ultra marathon? It's about, isn't it? It's about that. Yeah, it's not mm-hmm. too far away. And then so you add in the fact that he's swinging a club the whole time, and he's carrying the extra weight. As well, Karen. Through, what does he say he's going to take three clubs with him? No, just the one. Oh, sorry, he's just taking he's the just one. He's going to take yeah. the one, and I assume it's some sort of irony number. Probably like a maybe a, a seven, six or a seven, seven, something like that. You'd think. Yeah, yeah, mm, mate. Yeah, that's. Uh, I tell you what, he's um, he's doing a great thing for a great cause, but I'd rather him than me. Yeah, well, you can donate. Yeah, well, exactly. I, well, I should thought we should say, given you know it's the Karaka Million races this weekend, all of Louis's winnings are going to go um, to Kidney Kids this weekend. Perfect. Nineteen minutes past seven o'clock. Here with Chemist Warehouse, great savings every day. No, if I ever win, what are you? What are you laughing at, Nepiot? I just, I just thought it was funny that Rick chucked you under the bus there. But if you're going to do it, mate, that's noble. And Joe, noble. Joe, why are you laughing, hey? hey? No, I know you're going to do it. That's why. You're such a good man. I knew, I knew you were going to do it. And you're going to probably do it anyways. You didn't need to be tempted. There's no chance I'm donating all of my winnings. Oh, okay. Well, what, I'm I'm sorry. Will, what, I'm, <laughs> what I will be doing is I will donate, if I have a good night on the collect, actually regardless, 
I will be donating a good portion, at least at least somewhere near half, I'd say. Yeah, okay, that's good. What What do you expect that to look like? What's What's half of whatever you you say is good? Uh, to somewhere like? near. I don't know because I don't know how much, and I might have a terrible night. But then I will. Do, I will. I will still donate. We're all going to chip in. You're yeah, going to chip in, we'll, Rick. We'll definitely chip in. But I want to commit a number. That's what I'm weary of because all of a sudden I hit the quaddy and I've got forty k, and I'm like. Oh, you were in the hole for 20 of it. And the quaddy crush gets... <laughs> <laughs> but, no, we'll, we'll be donating and encourage you to do the same as well. Uh, more than an athlete, Jamie Reid there. Very, very special stuff. Right, 20 minutes past 7 o'clock. You're listening to SCNZ. Hey, most holes of golf you've played in a day, double eight, double three. Let's run a little bootleg mm. competition here. Who has played a really strange amount of whole, number of golf holes in a day? Who is it? Double eight, double three, or give us a call. Have you ever played that much golf? Oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. The Kenard's Eye phone line is there for you. Twenty one minutes past seven. Here with Kim's Warehouse. Great savings every day. We're twenty six minutes past seven o'clock this morning. Uh, here on Izzy and Kempi for breakfast. Now Rick Dog is in for Beaver, and we we got here this morning. Rick Dog and the Black Caps were in the midst of one of the great ODIs. It was pretty enthralling. Mm, it was. Yeah, it was. It was fantastic uh, chase by the Black Caps, particularly the lower order. The top order did all right. Middle order hasn't fired this tour at all, has it? Really. It hasn't, and I've got to be careful here because Beaver was confused last time when I declared this one of the great ODIs <laughs> then didn't mention that we lost by 12 <laughs> runs. <laughs> um, India set us 349 for eight, and it was a Shubman Gill 200 that was pretty rare in ODI cricket, and it was enough to get them over the line, despite Michael Bracewell's 140 from 78. Now, Michael Bracewell was a lock in this ODI, and mm. actually most of these... Uh, test and 2020 sides now, isn't he? He has just declared himself. Yeah, he has. And, I mean, the ODI World Cup is in India in October, right? So you can you don't even have to take the pencil. You can use use your bit pen or your vivid and write his name in that team because he is there. And so is Mitchell Santner. We spoke to Mitchell Santner right as soon as we got on the air today. We will replay that for you just after 8.30 today. What he can do tying an end down and then... 57 off 45 today, very crucial. The middle order is where we need to chat, Rick Dog. Double eight, double three. where are you, your thoughts around the middle order? And then the other point of contention is still that other opening spot with Finn Allen. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but right now that Kennard's Hire phone line is running hot and we've got Adam on the line. He is playing 24 hours of golf tomorrow, is that right, Adam? Yeah, morning. Yeah, yeah, no, we're... Uh for the Cancer Society for the longest day. Um, there's about 12 of us that are getting together to play, um, yeah, 24 hours. Oh, the longest day golf challenge. Obviously, uh, proud proud supporters of that here at SCNZ for the Cancer Society. How did you get this group of people together? And what's the longest you've been out on a golf course before this? That's a pretty big stint. I mean, you're, you're not doing 90 holes and, sorry, 90 kilometres and uh, 250 holes or whatever it is, like Jamie the Madman, but this is still a big stint. Yeah, now we're going to try and get up for seven rounds, so um, that will still probably be a good 70, 80 Ks, depending on how straight you hit. <laughs> That's key, eh? That's key to save the legs. You've actually, do you put more time, do you reckon, into setting up your shot now so that you're going, I, I don't have to walk the extra, you know, uh, kilometre and a half this round? Yeah, that'll just keep the big stick in the bag. Just hit something, 
chicken stick up the middle. <laughs> chicken stick up the middle. How do you, how do you go with the old two iron? Do you, do you have one of those or do you just rock the three? Yeah, no, I've got a, got a two iron bag as well, so... Yeah, no, nah, it goes all right. No, I, I, I think people that use two irons are sociopaths. So I can't. <laughs> probably just because I can't hit mine, Adam. Oh, I remember Adam. Do you remember Lee Trevino? No, 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 no. Oh, he was an American golfer. He was big around the time when Jack Nicholas was big and that. But he was like the joker of the tour. And uh, he always kept a one iron in his bag. And he said he, he did that for when they would play down, you know, in the southern part of the States and, and they get hurricane season and storm season and they get the lightning strikes and they clear everybody off the course. He goes, no, you just you take your one iron out of your bag and you hold it above your head because not even God can hit a one iron. <laughs> <laughs> Very sharp, Brick Dog. All right, Adam, well, congr- uh, well good luck, I should say. Um, I'll give you congratulations once you complete it, but good luck and good on you for getting out there for a really good course with you and your pals, mate. Cheers, boys. There you go. Doing well, Adam. 24 hours of golf, seven rounds. And Matt said, did 100 for a blood cancer New Zealand fundraiser. Honking hot day. Did it with my now past old man. Great memories, great charity. Only lost one ball at Clearwater. Oh, how good. Matt. What are you playing on? 100 holes, one ball at Clearwater. And we, as Izzy Dag has explained to us, Clearwater is not the place you necessarily are only going to lose one ball around, let alone 90 holes. I'm picking it's not called Clearwater because there's lots of bunkers. Yeah, it's not a desert. No, no. Up past seven here at SCNZ. We'll continue talking some cricket after this and we'll actually hear from Michael Bracewell what he thought of that pretty stunning innings he posted this morning against India in Hyderabad. Here's Aroha with the news for Kubota. Together we are shaping the future. ECNZ, we are 27 minutes away from 8am this morning. It is Izzy and Kempi for breakfast. The Fowlers are back on Monday. Looking forward to catching up with them. At Bunnings Trade, helping business is our trade. We're here to make your job easier because helping business is our trade. So let's get some sports headlines. And I'll start you off with some tennis. Rafael Nadal, gone. And he looked uncomfortable in the process, Rafa. Uh, I know there is people wanting to speculate whether that might be the last time they see him in Australia. I, what I've learnt with these, <laughs> with these uh, men, stars, legends, greats of the game, never write them off. Cam Norrie, though, he progressed in four sets through his match. Uh, today, Casper Ruud, the second seed, takes on the American Brooksby. We saw both of them at the AS. Be classic. On the women's side, there was lots of interest around the young stars taking part. And Coco Goff has won her 100th match on the tour, the WTA tour. She's just 18 years of old. This is when she beat Emma Raducanu last night over there in Australia. The last team to reach 100 tour wins, while well, it was an 18 year old. 
Caroline Wozniacki in 2009. So that is the sort of class Coco Golf is in the seventh seed and looks a genuine threat to be able to kick on and win this tournament. We were talking about the cricket. It was an absolute classic, and not even a Michael Bracewell 140 could reel in the mammoth score put up by India in our first ODI against them. This is Michael Bracewell post-match. Obviously saw that it was a pretty good wicket if you were able to get yourself in and you could play your shots, especially down the ground, looked pretty pretty small straight. So we were just talking about trying to get ourselves in and give ourselves a chance to take the game deep. And we didn't, we didn't really talk too much about winning the game at that stage, but... If, if you're able to do that uh, groundwork early, then then you give yourself a chance at the back end. And we just wanted to have a have an opportunity to be able to have a have a bit of a death period at the end and and try to get ourselves close, which we were able to do today. But yeah, again, unfortunately, uh, wasn't quite enough today. And it wasn't quite enough because of one simple reason: Shubman Gill. The young Indian star, the next great of next great Indian batsman, scored 208, becoming just the eighth person to score a ODI 100 off 149 balls. And we spoke to Mitch Santner right as soon as we got on yesterday. We'll replay this chat later in the show. Um, I think Rick Dog asked him, what was the bowling plan to Gil? Well, I guess whatever it was, it didn't really work. Kind of the I have to go have a look at the plans. Yes, they might, Rick. <laughs> they might have to. It didn't seem to matter what they did, you know, whether they whether they bowled the spinners either end, if they brought pace on, like Lockie, for, he, seemed to have, he seemed to have it all worked out, which didn't matter which side of the, the wicket they bowled. He was just all over it. He was timing it as well as I've ever seen someone hit a cricket ball. It was stunning, uh, Shubman Gill. Incredible stuff. Uh, Mitch Sandner, damn, we didn't ask him. He bowled Virat Kohli. I just saw that then. He clean bowled Virat Kohli. That's the wicket everyone wants. That's the way everyone dreams of. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, I was actually thinking about this. Kohli has been on a pretty average run of form of late, hasn't he? He's just, no, he's come back. He's, yes. he's actually just posted, he's scored, he's, he's, do you know he's only two tonnes off Sashin's wow. ODI record? Okay. I think he's got like 47 ODI tonnes or something now. Wow, that's that's a heck of a lot more than I thought. But I mean, he's I mean he, when they came here, he struggled. Remember when they came when they came here last year, he really he was in a, a really bad patch of form. He was, and I think he's just managed to piece it together. What about our what about our middle order, um, Rick Dog? This tour of Asia, we have not been able to find runs from your, um, I guess Nichols, Mitchells, mm. Lathams, Glenn Phillips. Obviously, won us that series against Pakistan, but. Overall, hasn't produced mass amounts of runs. No, and you know that that's a bit of a worry. I mean, I I think you know Daryl Mitchell um, is batting too high, um, particularly in tests. I you know I think he's he's got to be the De Grandhomme role. He's got to be he's got to be our our, our batting all rounder playing seven. Um, I think you know I mean even today I, I looked uh, last night when they put the lineup out. Daryl Mitchell at four in an ODI in India is like. That that makes us feel like we're, our batting's a bit thin, to be honest. So Hint, Kane Williamson's come home. Uh, Conway stayed at the top with mm. Finnellan. Yep. And it was Nichols batting three, and Henry yeah. Nichols can't be batting three in ODI cricket. I no, I mean, yeah, I mean, his natural position is probably five. That's right. But he hasn't had a great tour, or to be fair. opening. Yeah. I don't know about batting three. I just think it's it's kind of... that's. 
it's just not dynamic enough. Well, you, mind you, you ask Kane Williamson, who has batted three for a long time, often it is the same as opening, um, given what our opening pairs have done in the past. But uh, no, I was, was going to say, like, Henry Nichols, um, looking at his tour, if you look at all the scores in Pakistan and now the, this first uh, ODI against India, he is yet to score better than his average in any form on this tour. Yeah, yep. It's not, it's not, uh, it hasn't been a happy run of form for Henry Nichols. And look, the the trouble for New Zealand cricketers is there are middle order batsmen banging the door down. We're seeing big scores in the white ball cricket here and domestic cricket, but are they ready? Well, I, I, I talked to Mitch McLennigan about this a couple of weeks ago. We did breakfast for a week, and he thinks that the, 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 the answer is Devin Conway at four and Will Young comes into open. Yeah, Will, uh, you know what? Love it. Love that because Will Young's the man mm. for me. Yep, and Will Young's proven in his opportunities that he is ready to take that next leap. Well, that's what's going on in the cricket, and yet forty-six one-day tons for Virat Kohli. He is so close to Sachin. Yeah, you know how I said I thought he was a bit uh, a bit patchy. He is a rocks and diamond player, right? So this is his last. Uh, what are we looking at? Few innings here. He's gone fifty nine five hundred and thirteen one nineteen. 24-1, 113, 4, not out, 8. Yeah, and that's what Tim makes a point of. He, Coley's struggling. He scored about 160 a week ago. Well, yeah, in between, uh, he had been lean, but he did seem like he'd clicked back into gear. So Slinky taking his poles is very, very, well, important in the dynamic of the match and also one you'd put in your career highlights. Uh, Gill dropped on 46. Big miss, says this texter. Well, you'd have to say so. That actually might be as big as an understatement as Mitch Santner's when he said, yeah, this is an interesting game. <laughs> okay, Mitchell. Yeah, it was. 20 away from eight. We're going to talk some tennis with Stephen Borton, a correspondent out of North America after this. Right, we are a quarter of away from eight o'clock. Hey, uh, I, as I said before, the Australian Open's going and the uh, first big name has had a scalp removed. It's Rafael Nadal, the actual one seed, although I'm sure many people would suspect. What, what are you smiling? Well, when you said he's had his scalp removed, mate, he's, that's been happening for a while. I don't know if you've noticed. Well, this is hair, dog. Yeah, well, that's what your scalp is, right? Yeah, yeah sure, yeah, sure, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm just not used to... I mean, previously with Izzy Dag being in this show on the seat. Oh, we don't make jokes about that. We I'm just not used to it, so right, it just okay. took me a while. Okay. See, you, on the other hand, mate, are like the Rapunzel of rock, <laughs> aren't you? It's uh, it's the flowing locks, mate. The flowing locks. Is there any sign of it slowing? No. No, I, I, my, uh, my nonna, my mum's Italian, right? So my, her dad, he passed away last year, ninety four, full head of hair. Really? Yeah. And is it, that's what they say, isn't it? Yeah. It's your mother's... It's the men on the mother's side of the family, apparently. So mum's, mm. dad, brothers, that stuff. And you've got plenty of it. Plenty of it, mate. Plenty of it. You thought about making a wig? For what? Charity. Oh, I see. <laughs> uh, for someone, doing something for someone else? No. <laughs> Fair enough, mate. Hey, Coco Goff has had 100 wins on the WTA tour now. So she progressed against Emma Raducanu yesterday at the Australian Open, and she's the seventh seed. She was so gracious and such a deserving vic- victor of the ASB Classic when she won. Uh, we're going to cross up north now to Stephen Borton, a tennis correspondent. He's been good enough to take time to join us, and Stephen, you would have seen a lot of Coco Goff throughout the years. Not many years because she's still so young. How impressive is this run of form she's on on hard courts at the moment? 
Hey, yeah, thanks for, it's good to join you guys down in New Zealand. Um, yeah, Coco Goff is is the definition of impressive, right? She's she's playing so good and she's so young and she's just so mature for her age, which is kind of something we always talk about. Um, and yeah, I was really looking forward to the matchup um, with Radicanu, but, you know, just at even the young age, she kind of just showed that she's in a dominant position um, even against her, her other the other girls her age. Um, so yeah, she's in a great run of form, and hard courts seem to be one of her her best surfaces. So I'm I'm excited to see what she can do at this tournament. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see because there are a lot of players uh, on the on the women's side of the draw, particularly who who seem to be uh, you know could beat each other any day of the week, um, and and you know the next day they come back and the result goes the other way. It's a, it's a pretty even field, except for of course. Iga Swiatek, um, can can you see anybody stopping her at this tournament? Well, I was hoping that our Canadian Bianca Andreescu would face her in the next in the third round and give her a real test and potentially beat her, but unfortunately, Andreescu crashed out. So yeah, Swiatek is, you know, to me one of the favorites for the tournament. But this surface is, I would say, allows other the other women on the tour to really feel like they have a shot to hurt her. It's She's not as dominant on this surface, uh, especially a quicker hard court, than she is on, say, clay, for example, where I, don't, I honestly don't think anyone can touch her at the moment. But I was I before the tournament, I was looking at um, Irina Sabalenka as mm. and Caroline Garcia as two women who could who could hurt uh, Shvantec. I think they both beat her at the at the uh, WTA finals at the end of last year on hard court. Um, so she is maybe the favorite as the number one seed, but there's definitely some stiff competition for her uh, at this tournament. What have you seen from Novak Djokovic so far? Is he somewhere back to his enigmatic best? Is he is he right where he needs to be mentally and physically to win a grand uh, to win a grand slam? Yeah, it looks like it. He looks right, like you said, right back where he has been for so long. Right down under, just dominant. Um, but it is early in this tournament and he, he does have that nagging kind of hamstring. If you watched his last match, he had it quite taped up. Um, so, you know, if that gets worse, that could be a story, but we see him overcome injuries, you know, mid tournament down here in Australia. So it's, it's not something that uh, the miracle man can't work out. Uh, and it's not something we haven't seen him do before. So as far as level goes, he, uh, he looks in perfect form to me. He's the heavy favorite. Um, and on his bottom half of the draw, he shouldn't have any real stuff stiff um competition for the next couple of rounds if i just pull it in the men's draw here um you know holger runa i think could be his real next um challenge and that wouldn't come uh, for a couple of rounds here so we will see yeah another player in the in the tournament that does like a hard court and we saw him at the us open go right is uh, the norwegian casper rud um how do you rate his chances i mean if uh, if he and uh, Djokovic do meet uh, in this tournament, do you think Rude is, is a chance? I think he's got a great chance. You know, at, we saw that at the in the Paris Masters uh, at, in November last year, Holger Runa made it all the way through to the final and faced Novak Djokovic, and then he got he lost the first set, but he came back in that match and won the whole tournament, beating Djokovic in the final. So that's a three set match. This is obviously different over five sets, but I do think. Holgaruna has kind of worn off that that baby fat where he's not he actually cramped in their last uh, match that they played at a Grand Slam in the U.S. Open in 2021, and Holgaruna is definitely a different player now. He's top ten in the world, and yeah, he could be a serious threat to Djokovic. I think because of 
His super strong baseline game backhand is just as good as Djokovic. Forehand is huge. He's a solid um, counterpuncher. He does everything well. So, yeah, he could be a really uh, tough test for, for Novak if they are to face. Now, we saw last night uh, Rafa Nadal go out to uh, the man with two surnames, Mackenzie McDonald, uh, in straight <laughs> sets. Um, it did seem to be, it looked maybe a hip flexor or a groin uh, issue that he had. He, he certainly lacked mobility. I mean, he's he's 36 now. He'll be, th- uh, he'll be 37 by the time the next Australian Open rolls around. Do you think that's the last we've seen of him um, at uh, the Australian Open as a player? You know, that's that's the question I just asked on on my show, The Slice. You know, I, I don't know if that's the last match we saw from him down under. I thought that the wave he gave to the crowd at the end there was a little bit longer than he normally might if, uh, you know, when he loses. So maybe he was saying, you know, thanks for the memories. And he just doesn't know, right? So I think every year he's not sure. The way he'll answer things is he's not sure. He'll see if he still has the fight, the desire to fight through these, now his in, his kind of very consistent injuries, right? Um, But yeah, like you said, he's 36. It was his hip um, that was giving him issues, and he said it had been giving him issues for a couple of days, but then really flared up in that match. Um, So yeah, it's hard to know what the future is for him, but he's given everything and more to to us tennis fans, so he he does not owe us anything. Very sharp analysis, Stephen. Appreciate your time down under. Stephen Borton, uh, host of The Slice on YouTube. You can go follow him at The Slice Stephen on Twitter. Thanks, mate. We'll catch up again. Appreciate it, guys. Have a good one. There you go. Stephen Borden. And, yeah, he um, he did give a long wave. I tell you what, these older fellas, Andy Murray as well with the metal hip, mm. on those hard courts for nearly two decades now, they have been pounding away out there um, at that top level. I don't really know how they're still doing it. I wasn't surprised to see Rafa pull up a little bit lame. There was no way he should have lost in straight sets if it wasn't an injury. He's so gracious, though, he'd never really pin it to that Um We'll see. We'll see how he progresses. We are six and a half away from eight o'clock. Was that the last of Rafael Nadal? You tell us. Double eight, double three, or oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Especially at Australia. This is Ian Kempe back on Monday morning. Oh, cannot wait to hear the dynamic duo back at it again for another year. Kempe will have many thoughts on the Warriors in the NRL, and Izzy, I can't wait for his take on Dave Rennie and the Wallabies. Here's a text from Kevin on Dave Frenny. His record was terrible, injuries or not. And what I saw of the Wallabies was a glorified Chiefs outfit where pretty much every game the players made schoolboy errors. Well, that's a coach's fault? He never produced a style that you could say was Oz Rugby. Kevin. Kevin, I don't think he had the opportunity to. And also, why does a style need to say Oz Rugby? Who cares what the style says? Is the style winning? No, it wasn't, but I think there were mitigating factors to that. And to be fair, they did push teams this year. France, New Zealand, South Africa. I think he's hard done by. Here's Araha with the news for Kubota. Together we are shaping the future. Four minutes past eight o'clock this morning. Izzy and Kempi for breakfast, but it's Ricardo and Louie. I am Louie. Ricardo is here alongside us this morning. Beaver, if you've been following along with breakfast this week, well, you'll know that Beaver stood on a shard of glass 
a part of a mirror when he was cleaning up the batch earlier in the week. He ripped it out, but unfortunately for him, some of the glass got stuck in there, and they've dug around in it, given them the most... What they said was the worst place to get a needle in your body on his foot to numb it up. They scraped around, couldn't find it, so now he's going under the knife as they try to pull out the shard of glass. Very, very simple procedure, we hope. But he's out of action today. He's under the dose. He's under the knife. And we'll see with Beaver whether he can come back tomorrow. I'm not sure. He's a company man, as he keeps telling us. But that's the latest with Beaver. We caught up with him earlier in the show and found out a wee bit about his... Uh, state of play. We'll hopefully catch up with him again. Mitchell Santner, we spoke to him earlier in the show and we're going to play that for you back after 8.30. But Ricardo, there's plenty of sport going on this weekend, including some boxing. Yeah, he's a big card. Uh, Chris Eubank Jr. is fighting Liam Williams uh, in Manchester. And on the undercard of that is our very own Joseph Parker looking to make his bounce back. Oh, man. Like, you thought the Joe Joyce fight was make or break. Well... Mm. Technically, this is more make or break because, really, there's only one option from here. Yeah, it, I mean, it is now. He needs to win this fight, and he should win this fight. You know, he's fighting a bloke called uh, Jack Massey who is stepping up from uh, cruiserweight to take on Joe Parker, and it is a bit of a Rocky kind of style underdog story, this one, and you always love one of those. He's a local boy from Manchester as well, and to tell us more about that from Ring Magazine is Anson Wainwright. G'day, Anson. How are you? Hello, good evening. Well, good morning, gentlemen. I'm good, and how are you? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Is, is Jack Massey, uh, Rocky Balboa, is that, a, is that a fair summation? Um, I think in, his, in terms of his chances on the weekend, I think so. I think um, it's, uh, there's, there's no kind of feeling out process. He's not going up and fighting, you know, a lesser guy. He's going with a top 10 heavyweight, and uh, so it's quite a, a jump for him. But I also think, like, from, from Joe's point of view... It's the type of fight where he really can't afford to lose. A loss would really damage him and um, and, and kind of make his career, you know, it would it would leave him. I, I don't know where he would quite go from a loss in, in, a, in a fight like this. Yeah, completely agree, Anson. Great to have you on the program. Where has he gone since the Joe Joyce uh, loss? In the UK and in boxing circles, has his stock taken a massive um, detour? Um, I, I don't know about that. I think because of the fight with Joyce, I think he got beaten. And, and, and he, you know, he, he, people say it was a really good fight, but I, I tend to feel it was almost a little bit one-sided. Um, so I don't know that it was, you know, that he advanced his claims, but I don't know if it really hurt him too much because it was a fan-friendly fight. Uh, fight um, and you know, Joyce is, is right on the cusp of a world title shot himself. So I don't think it really hurt him. It obviously didn't help him, but I think it. it, uh, it I don't think he lost too much ground from it, to be honest. Jack Massey is a cruiserweight stepping up to uh, fight Joe. He's his record is twenty wins, one loss. He's got eleven KOs in that time. Uh, it doesn't feel to me like he's got the stopping power to to to, to finish Joe, uh, like. Uh, what we saw from Joe Joyce. I mean, Joe, that, that loss to Joe Joyce is the first time that Parker has been stopped. How does Jack Massey win this fight if he's going to? Um, good question. I, I, I'm not really sure that he has the, uh, with great respect to him, he has the ability to sort of do that. Um, it's kind of a surprising fight because, like you said, he, you noted he was a, he's a cruiserweight um, he was nearly a, you know, just over a 50% knockout ratio. 
Um, and although he has lost once, he's not fought anyone quite like Joseph Parker. So if Joseph is anything like, you know, at the peak of his powers, um, he should have far too much, you know, for Jack Massey. Because I don't think Jack will be able to really outbox him for large swathes of the fight. And I don't think, I, I certainly don't think you'll be able to hurt him. And unless Joe's, you know, has had, he's always had a good chin. And obviously we've seen it was only really the fight with um, the most recent one when he did get stopped. Before that, Dillian White, he got up, was fine. Um, even, you know, was it the, the, the Chisora fight? That looked more like off balance than anything else. So Joe's always had a good chin. So I don't think that uh, he'll be able to, you know, it would really have to be a surprise if he were to get stopped. The main event looks like a ripper. Eubank Jr. and Liam Smith, they both could really, really use an impressive performance here and, and they're both not that far away, right? What is the billing for this fight? What's the gossip and, and what are people suggesting heading into it? Um, I think you've got one Eubank who's the natural middleweight. He's actually fought a super middleweight, so he should be the bigger man. Uh, Smith, probably a little bit more, you know, has fought more tried and tested uh, guys in terms of he's, he's been in with Canelo, was stopped, but, you know, did go nine with Canelo. Uh, Jaime Mungia went the, went the distance with him. Uh, but, but but arguably that with uh, with Smith, he's, he's in the form of his life. I mean, yes, he's 34, but He's he's had the situation where he beat Jesse Vargas, who perhaps went a little bit you know, too heavy in weight, but he did stop Jesse, who'd always looked pretty solid beforehand. Stopped Jesse, and then he beat Hassan McQuenio, who who was who we knew on British shores because he'd beaten our own Sam Eggington. Um, that was a, it was an odd finish, but nonetheless, Smith got the fight. That was September, so he's not really been off too long. It's like it's a four-month turnaround, so that's not bad from his point of view, whereas Eubank, it's nearly a year since we last saw you, Eubank, you know. Um, Smith told me he wants to see if Eubank can go three minutes of the round, you know, rather than step away and box or whatever. So that's going to be the interesting thing, if, if, if Smith can really drag him into a dogfight, because I think if he gives him time and space, he's going to get picked off, and, and it'll be, it won't be so entertaining, and Eubank will win a, you know, a decision. Eubank Jr. was supposed to fight Conor Ben. Obviously, that fight didn't happen because of a failed drugs test by Conor Ben. Um, this fight feels like it's come quite quickly after that. So, I mean, how much of a fight camp for Liam Smith has Eubank Jr. had? I think he'd had a bit of time to step away. Um, interestingly, he's gone back to Roy Jones for this. I don't believe he was going to be with Roy for the, the Ben fight. No particular reason why, but he was, he was going to just do his... You know, do his own thing. Uh, he's, he's reunited with Roy for this fight, so it'll be interesting because the last time we saw Eubank, he was able to have the time and space and scored three early knockdowns against uh, Liam Williams, my countryman. The fight was in Wales and Cardiff, and I was at the fight. Uh, Liam was down three times in the first four rounds, was always behind on the scorecards um, and lost You know, a fairly wide decision. Um, Liam told me he'd lost, this This might be of some interest to users, he'd lost, managed to lose 13 pounds in eight hours before the weigh-in, which is obviously crazy. Um, so that obviously led to him not having his feet underneath him and he got put down a few times and they weren't heavy knockdowns, he just looked like he got caught by a shot. Um, but still, Eubank did what he needed to do. I think this is one where we're going to see him have to fight a little bit more and it'll tell us a little bit about where both guys are. You know, Smith is a, is a, is a natural... Uh, like middleweight, uh, Eubank a middleweight. If uh, Eubank were to lose, it would be very damaging to his career. If Smith were to perform well and perhaps go the distance and lose a decision, it probably wouldn't 
and it's not going to help him get a, a world title shot at 154. But it's you know he's going to make a very good payday, um, and it keeps him you know he doesn't really lose too much in that regard. So as long as he doesn't get blown away, um, I think he's, as long as he's competitive, I think he can you know go on to other things and perhaps other 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 fights at, at, like middleweight. Brilliant. Can't wait for it. Hey, just, Anson, before we let you carry on with your evening, I really appreciate your time. I am curious. You did say Joe Joyce is probably not too far away from a title fight. Well, we saw Tyson Fury call out Usyk yesterday. Uh, I think Usyk, I've read, wants 50-50 for the fight, which is Mm -hmm. quite a demand. Um, How's the heavyweight placed at the moment, the division? Where is Joyce in comparison to... Tyson Fury, and are we likely to see this Fury Usyk fight happen sooner rather than later? I think that that's what everybody you know is waiting for. I think once that that will because Joyce is with the same people as um, Fury Frank Warren, that will lead us to know what happens. They're going to do that fight. If that fight happens next, then Joyce will fight somebody else with uh, the hope of fighting the winner in, you know, the second half of this year. Um, I suspect it will. There's probably a bit of posturing. You know, I'm sure Usyk will probably make career high or certainly very, very close to it, um, payday um, for a fight with, with Fury. Of course, he does have three belts, and he's probably going to try and use that as leverage. Um, and, you know, Kudos to him, and, and, and he doesn't want to. He wants to make and, and deserves to make good money. Um, in terms of whether it's fifty-fifty, that's that's for them to sort out. I suspect we'll see it. But what I would say is, personally, I I, I feel that Fury is just too big for Usyk, and I would much rather, you know, if it doesn't happen, you know, I'm not going to cry me a river. I would I would rather see Fury and Joyce because I think Joyce has got a style that could make it very difficult for Fury. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, Usyk uh, is it was good against Joshua, who doesn't have the footwork. But Tyson is that much bigger, but has the footwork and has the hand speed that uh, that you know that Usyk uses to his advantage over AJ. So, mm-hmm. it, it, I mean, if you're Usyk, you want this to be a payday because uh, very unlikely you're going to win it. Um, what chance do you think we see Fury Joyce before that? Then, I think that's that's what Warren will do. They'll, they're, they're, there's, there's obviously been a I mean, we're a couple of months removed from um, from seeing what it was it early December wasn't it when Fury was in the ring and he had his tantrum and he was calling all I, I thought it was a pretty disgraceful the way he was you know labeling things at uh, Usyk we've gone you know a month six weeks you know Fury was going to have an operation on his hands so we're waiting um, I think that what will happen is we'll get to a point and they'll probably say, well, if you don't want to take this, we're going to fight Joyce. Um, I suspect we're probably another couple of weeks, maybe a month away, and they're going to, that's when they'll try, they will, they will look at going the, the other direction. Uh, Warren has a bit of bargaining power because he does have Joyce, who'd probably be the next guy um, to face Fury. So I could imagine that they will probably be able to use that to their advantage and, you know, they'd have both sides in that fight. So I'm sure it's a fight they'd be interested in doing. Mm. Anson, thanks very much for coming on today, mate. Really appreciate uh, you interrupting your evening to come and chat boxing to us. Enjoy the fight this weekend, eh? And we'll catch up soon. Thank you, absolutely. Good, good luck with the show, gents, and thank you for having me. Brilliant. Anson Wainwright, uh, Ring Magazine. Very sharp and couple of points to take out of that. The heavyweight division, Joe at the moment isn't in that conversation. He is not in that same conversation with Tyson, Joyce, Usyk. 
and he probably, you could argue, hasn't been in the last year or so anyway, but that Joyce fight was so pivotal, pivotal. we built it up so much because it really was his chance to be back there. Mm. He's up there, but all of a sudden, being an undercard on a non-title fight, this is building blocks, this is stepping stones again. It's all in front of him. It's a lot of hard work. He's been doing this for a long time since he was a young man. Look, I admire the tenacity and the courage from Joe Parker to get himself straight back up to the UK and start again. But I also also partly feel for him because I feel like he has to do this. And I, I just... He's got a beautiful family. He's got a... Whatever he does past boxing, he'll be good at. He's an extremely talented guy. And I just think... I just kind of see a long road ahead for him. Yeah, I mean, I think things have changed in boxing. You know, it used to be sort of 20 years ago, if you had more than one loss on your record, you could pretty much say goodbye to having a title shot. Um, I think that has changed, particularly in the heavyweight division, because there are so many contenders. You know, Andy Ruiz is doing good things over in the States. Deontay Wilder's on his way back. AJ uh, will continue to be around. He'll get talked about. He's a draw card, particularly in Britain. Tyson Fury, Usyk. You know, there are so many talented big fighters, Joe Joyce, that all of these guys are going to take two or three losses and then and, and still be um, able to, to challenge. Yeah, the options are there. It's just, it's boxing and the health concerns are kind of where, where, what gets me. Oh, I see what you're saying. Like, I just, it's going to take, the options are going to be there for him to get some more paydays. Well, he's got to do, well, before then he has to do some work, some building blocks. Mm. Then there will be options, but... How much longer does he want to go for? It's not not for me to say, and it's his decision, and it's his family's decision. But I just I think it's a really long road before he gets back. Yeah, although you know he's got this three fight deal with Sky in the UK, and so that will be part of this as well. And you know this Jack Massey fight, they won't have taken this thinking they're going to lose it. They'll take this. They want to bank another W. I would imagine after this, they might look at Dillian White, a rematch there. He shouldn't have lost that fight. So they'll want to get that fight back, maybe get that W as well. And then that puts them above Dillian White. And then all of a sudden you're talking about potentially maybe an AJ matchup again or something like that. Yeah. Well, Anthony Joshua is a fascinating one because that guy is a strange bloke. Mm. And he's ducking, he's ducked and weaved from certain things. And then he's, he's, <laughs> he's ported, left it all out there post that Usyk fight and that bizarre rant, the, the most recent one. I don't really know where he turns either. Yeah, well, that's the thing. He needs wins as well, right? And he needs wins against other guys who are sort of at that level, which is the same as where Joe is now. So, you know, if Joe wins this fight, maybe puts Dillian White away, then maybe that fight looks appealing to Anthony Joshua, and it would certainly bank in the UK. And then the uh, the other side of it is what's happening in America, as you said, Ruiz, Wilder, watching that space very closely. Are they... That, that is settled? That is done? They will be fighting? I think so, yeah. I don't know if we've got a... a, um, a uh, an official date yet, but there was a lot of talk about it being Mexico City, possibly Cinco de Mayo. Wow. How good would that be? Wow. It would be epic. Yeah. I don't know how good huge. the fight would be. I kind of can't imagine it in my head, but the spectacle would be amazing. 20 minutes past 8 o'clock. That's a bit of boxing for you on your Thursday morning here at SENZ. What's next for Joe Parker post this? Uh, anyone? It's, it's live on... TV3? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a free-to-air. Which is the first time in a long time. So I imagine that'll be Sunday morning, kind of probably early 
I would suggest maybe like eight, nine a.m., maybe ten, somewhere uh, I around th- that. They, I think uh, what I read is they said that the, the Joe will be in the ring no later than eight a.m. New Zealand time. Yeah, because he's so far down the well. <laughs> yeah, and I mean it starts at six, right? The card, so that would work about. I think he's. But there's one fight between him and the main fight. Brilliant. That's a way to wash over your Karakamillion hangover. <laughs> I'll watch some Joey P. 21 minutes past eight. Where's next for Joe Parker? And, and does he just cruise through Jack Massey? Uh, 8833 0800 150 811, the Kennards phone line. Here's Kibis Warehouse. Great savings every day. A bit of pacing for purpose and Paulie Moati after this. It's Harness Racing New Zealand, Pacing for Purpose, Season 2. Yeah, it is. And we're back with some Harness Racing goodness. HRNZ.co.nz. Live the dream. Get involved with Harness Racing, Rick Dog. Uh, 26 minutes past 8. Paulie Moati in a second. We're actually swinging for the fences here. We're 50 on the schnout of Da La Renta. Da La Renta. Di La Renta. Di La Renta. Talking about um, Andy Ruiz fighting in Mexico mm. City. Di La Renta. Yeah. You know, Central American kind of Spanishy vibe it to it. Have, there's a bit of that about it, yeah. Race six today at Invercargill, the harness. It is... Blair Orange in the bike for Tyler Dews. So there you go. Uh, I wouldn't have picked it, but that's what's on the tip sheet. De La Renta, race six, number three, $7.50. 50 on the nose and 50 on the nose. Paulie Moati, Paul, breathe. But I see that BGP have already had a bet to win a million dollars. And it's only, it was about 7 a.m. on a Thursday morning and they were already trying to take you for the seven figures. I'm looking at it right now. Uh, The Boys Get Paid Punters Club, and you can still get in to the Boys Get Paid Punters Club um, right up until the start of race one on Saturday early or late afternoon. I think race one's around 4.09. So still plenty of time to get into the Punters Club if you want to. But, yep, you're right, uh, Louis. The BGP have had a go. They've placed an $80,000 multi on Tutu Kaka to win the uh, first race on Karaka Million Night, paying three thirty on Imperatriz uh, to win the second race at a dollar forty, and then they've taken the boosted odds on Maven Bell uh, to win race three at two dollars and seventy cents. So they've spent around eighty thousand dollars to return if all three of those come in, just over the million dollar mark. So yeah, you got the you got the bookies sweating here. Uh, at the moment, uh, but there's, uh, I guess after the barrier draw and then the jockeys getting named, um, we've got the OF effect, the the OP factor, um, and that that has been shown uh, in the Karaka Million two-year-old race where the bookies have basically had to um, flip favourites and Trobriand is now your favourite in that two-year-old race. Got the nice draw at six. Opie Bossing, uh, Opie Bossing jumps on. 380 into $3 um, since opening yesterday afternoon. Tokyo Tycoon, who was the uh, Futures favourite, now out to $5.50. Got a tricky draw out wide, 14. Craig Zaki jumps on. But, yeah, it's all about Opie Bossing um, and what he decides to do and it looks like he could have a very very successful night as he usually does on Karaka Million Night 
uh, with the favourite in the two-year-old race and the second favourite in the three-year-old classic in Wild Night, who is now $2.80 after opening up at three forty in that uh, final field market. Oh, Paul, this is just like heaven, isn't it? The, the permutations, the market moves... I mean, Legato, I see you have it boosted at $3. If you took the seven of shorts around Legato, you better double up and you better dip again because that is crazy. And this is the Opie factor in Wild Night. I tell you what, I don't know who starts favourite in that race. I don't know what the, all the algorithms do and what the pro punters start doing when they climb in. I've got no idea. And you make the point, well, the other one that's that's taken money in the two-year-old race, Ethereal Star, mate, seven bucks into five fifty. Damien Lane's the best jockey at the meet, other than Opie Bossing as it's Karakamillion night. But Frosty Lane rides winners in Group One races in Japan and Dubai and Hong Kong and wherever he goes. And he's over here. He's got a full book of rides. This is such a good night. This is such a good night. Could not. I cannot wait. What are we? We're um, a couple of days out. Um, and it, it, look, we're fizzing here uh, at headquarters in Petoni, and I'm sure the bookies, they'll lose a little bit of weight um, over the next couple of days, certainly. Wasting away, Saturday. trying to get, trying to make weight. <laughs> trying to make weight, exactly, Louis. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the action is on. I, I can see we took a $2,000 bet on Trobriand uh, at the $3 as well, so m- money's still coming for the favourite in that uh a two-year-old race with Opie Bossin aboard. Oh, brilliant. Uh, Daniel Stackhouse, Stacky over here from Australia to ride as well as um, Damien Lane. Brilliant. Really, really good stuff. TAB.co.nz. All of those markets that Paulie just spoke about, um, R18 Gamble responsibly. There you go. Maybe if you want to donate to charity, just drop a little bit of fund into the BGP Bunders Club and then take your profit. and Don't have to know anything about anything. It's a good way to do it. It's good for the TAB. Um, good that they're on board there. And what a night. Pukakoi. I wonder if there's still tickets available. Maybe some GAs if you want to go get out there. Beaver can't be there because he's GA at Red Hot Chili Peppers. We caught up with Beaver earlier in the show. It was great to catch up with the great man. We're going to head off now to... He's going under surgery, by the way. He's going to surgery today. That's why Ricardo's here. We're going to head off to the news, the Aroha for Kubota, together with Shaping the Future. And after that... We'll hear from Mitch Santner. We got to catch up with Slinky earlier in the show after one of the great ODIs where we lost, but Michael Bracewell, woo wee, beastie, 140 off 70 odd, some innings. SENZ with 25 minutes away from 9am. Is in Kempe for breakfast? The Fowler's back on Monday. Looking forward to that. Gullah's fueling your mission all year round. Pop into your local for some good value fuel. Visit gull.nz. Dave Rennie has broken his silence after his axing from Wallaby's coach. He says he takes solace in the fact that he still had the respect of the players and staff at the time of all this happening, which is very important to him. Premier League action this morning, Ricardo. Yeah. I'll turn my mic on. Yeah. Uh, Crystal Palace hosts Manchester United this morning. Uh, it's a game that was... The uh, red-hot Manchester United. The red-hot Manchester United. Nine wins on the bounce. Um, Palace have lost five of their last six. Not going so well under Patrick Vera this season. Um, and I've, I I think United have got Vout Vercourse, the new signing, starting up front um, in place of Anthony Martial. They should get it done. Uh, United are paying head-to-head. Uh, let me just scroll down because I've lost it. Uh, United are paying head-to-head. 
dollar sixty two. But that's not bad money for something that's multi anchor. Yeah, it's a good multi anchor. I've actually gone the same game multi. Mm-hmm. I've gone United to win. Bruno Fernandez, who takes all the penalties to score any time. Vout Veghorst, the new striker to score any time. And Nathaniel Klein, the former Liverpool right back, to get booked because he's up against the Brazilian winger, Anthony, who was just going to school him. And um, that is returning $26. Beautiful stuff. That's happening in the Premier League with Rick Dog. I don't mind that. Looking for a bit of value. 26ers. Uh, Tyson Fury versus Usyk. Yes, we spoke about this just before. He has called him out. Tyson Fury here, WBC heavyweight number one. You don't work champion. Usyk, calling out Gypsy King, you pathetic little call out, Dosser. Rabbit. I'm coming for you, Rabbit. You're getting it, Rabbit. And I tell you what else, I'm going to bust you up real bad, you little middleweight. I'm just going to slap you into a big pile of tattoos, sucker. Come on! <laughs> That's what Tyson Fury's up to. And uh, we've got a text here on Tyson Fury, Rick. Fury is tuning into the new Mayweather. They stall and drag out contract negotiations and blame the other side, then give opportunities limited build-up time to prepare. Once contracts are signed, Fury's in-fight percentages on top on accuracy drop massively against Southpaws, and I can see Usyk causing him massive issues. Fury has never fought anyone with the ring smarts of Usyk, says Matt. Mm, it'll be interesting. That'll be an interesting fight. I just think that I mentioned this to Anson that you know the thing that Usyk had over AJ, for example, is his great hand speed. Uh, he's very mobile. He could moving uh, target. He's yeah, always moving. But the thing is that Tyson Fury does the same thing, and he's a much bigger man. And you know, you get a big, a good big man against a good little man. The good big man's going to win. I I just worry that Usyk won't be able to hurt Fury. Mm, yeah, and he he might be able to not be hurt. He might be good enough to give him trouble and stop his accuracy. But I still don't know when Fury starts leaning on him. I think that and and starts dragging him and turning into a real brawl. I don't think Usyk will be able to hurt him. That would be my theory. Uh, it is going to be an interesting one though. We're watching with keen interest. Joseph Parker this weekend, twenty two minutes away from nine o'clock. The other bit of news we wanted to update you on was Rafael Nadal. He's out of the Australian Open, but he did speak, and I think you can take solace in this if you are a Rafa fan. So he's just a bit muffled there, but he is saying he doesn't want to retire and uh, he will keep going. So there you go. You will be able to watch your Rafael Nadal longer on. I I don't think he was going to retire. The question would be, do you think he'll make it back down to Australia? Um, Hard courts. Mm, I've got a feeling. He's going to be 37 by the time next year rolls around for the Aussie Open. I've got a feeling he's won the French 14 times. I reckon that's where he bows out. See, I think he could just keep playing the French. Well, potentially, yeah. If but we thought that enough... about Federer. We thought Federer would just play Wimbledon. That didn't happen either. Yeah, his body is terrible, though, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe he does go out on a high. I mean, he's he has been gracious his career more often than not, and he has kind of been that sort of holistic star. We'll see. We'll watch it with bated breath. After this, you'll hear from Mitchell Santner. We're talking the ODI. Black Caps. India, they went down, but boy, oh boy, did they push the Indians on their home patch. Santa spent time at the crease with Michael Bracewell, and we'll catch up and let you listen to our chat with him from earlier on after this. S-E-N-Z. 
Yeah, sorry, the overuse of nicknames there, Beastie. I've got no right to be calling him that, although that innings was spectacular. Theory, mm. Black Caps win. Mm. Who's man of the match? Uh, Black Caps win that, man of the match. Yeah, I, I don't know you can go, but you can't go past Michael Bradswell scoring the ton, can you? No, would have been the first person to ever score 200, Shubb and Gill, and not make man of the match, I reckon. <laughs> yeah, you probably remind you it was in India. It was in India. They probably would have given it to him anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm not wrong, Rick am I? Dougal, the kids always <laughs> the conspiracist. Uh, one of the great, one of the great losing innings, you'd have to say, from Michael Bracewell. Quite staggering, to be honest. And Saturday, 9 p.m. So after the Karakamillion, you want to watch the Modi cricket? Well, the second match, I can't wait. This series could be quite special. This game was quite special. Scintillating cricket all way round, and that was Mitch Santner we spoke to first thing this morning, just after 6am news. He was good enough to take time to join us. Eight away from nine. This has been fun this morning, Rick Dogg, and after this we'll catch up with Smithy, and I know no doubt he'll have some thoughts on that performance by the Black Caps and beastie Michael Bracewell's incredible winnings. Kino Tire phone line. Call Izzy and Kempi anytime.